following audio is from the Anglican Church, Caroline Springs. For more information about the church, go to taccs.org.au. Who is Jesus? That's the question we're going to be addressing over the next 20 weeks as we open up John's Gospel and look at chapters 1 through to 12. We'll leave it aside for a little while and pick it up again in January of 2015 and finish off the gospel. But for the next 20 weeks, that's where we're going to camp. And we're going to be asking the question, who is Jesus? That's the question that John wants us to ask as we open up his gospel. That is the question that he has in mind as he writes the entire thing. Who is Jesus? Just a bit of a spoiler alert for you. In chapter 20, I think it's verse 30 and 31, he he gives us the answer. He says that he has written these things. Even though Jesus did other signs, did other things, he wrote these down so that we would know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing we would have life in his name. That's why he wrote it. That's why we're preaching this series. That's why this church exists, so that you would know who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? What better person to be our guide? What better man to be our guide through this journey of asking this question than John, the Apostle John? Mark tells us that John was a fisherman. Uh, He worked with his brother. They were kind of business partners, John and James, um, working the nets. When one day Jesus comes along, first calls Peter and his brother Andrew and then goes to James and to John and says, follow me. They drop everything. They leave their business. They leave their family. They leave their livelihood, everything that they know, and they follow this man, Jesus, because they want to know the answer to the question that we're going to ask this morning. Who is Jesus? John goes on from fisherman to be a disciple of Jesus, to become one of his three closest friends. He had an inner circle of friends, Peter, James, and John. James and John being the brothers, the sons of Zebedee, who left their nets to follow him. His inner circle, they were privy to many things that the other disciples weren't privy to. John writes this gospel as an eyewitness. He lived with Jesus. He heard from Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He saw what Jesus did and what he taught. And he writes this gospel so that we might know Jesus as he knew him. Jesus trusted him. He was close with him. In the end, as he hung on the cross, he entrusted John to the care of his own mother. You've got to imagine like a little brother, older brother kind of relationship between Jesus and John. So what better man to instruct us, to guide us as we ask this question, who is Jesus? He went on, John, to write uh, not only the Gospel of John, but the, th- the three letters of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you'll find at the end of your Bible, and the book of Revelation, which is a, a vision of the new heavens and the new earth that John received as he was exiled on the island of Patmos under the tyrannical rule of Domitian, the, the, Roman, Empire, uh, the Roman Emperor. And he went on to live a long life, unlike all of the other disciples. He likely lived till he was around 90 or so years old, leading the church, praying for the church, planting churches and writing letters uh, and gospels and accounts like this. What better man to lead us through this journey than John himself? And John's question to us 
from the very first verse that we're going to look at this morning to the end of his gospel account is who do you say Jesus is? Who is Jesus? When I was growing up, when I was a kid, my heroes, all of my heroes were either sportsmen or cartoon characters. All right? Anyone with me in this? Right, growing up, 80s kid, sportsman and cartoon characters. That's what it was all about. It was Alan Border, Tim Watson, and He-Man. That, were my, that was my holy trinity, all right? That was, that was who I worshipped. And, uh, and so it was mainly about what people did. That's what I, what I looked to, what I was impressed by, what I wanted to emulate, sportsmen and cartoon characters. When I got a little older, when I entered my teens, I started to listen to what people said more than I was watching what they did. That I learnt like... All of you guys have that what we say authenticates what we do or it can disqualify us. And so I started accumulating for myself heroes that said great things, that used words to communicate great things, words that would inspire, words of power and words of meaning. And so I started, I remember I did in high school a project on Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., and I heard that speech for the first time. I have a dream. And it blew me away. But this guy can be my hero. Started reading philosophy. Started reading Descartes and Kant and, and Nietzsche. And, 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 and started to fall in love with these men and women who could use words to inspire. Use words with power. And then I came across Jesus and he fitted in the same, char- in the same category. He seemed to me to be a great philosopher. He said things that no one had ever said before. And he said things that instantly became idiomatic, that that made their way into the language of every culture that heard them. Things like, do unto others as you would have them do to you. you Phrases like that, that no one else on earth said, with a kind of power that surpassed everyone else. And so he came for me, another man to emulate, another man of words, another philosopher, another moralist, another example. But you need to hear this from the very, very beginning. Everyone look right at me now. John is desperate from the first verse of his gospel that we do not think that about Jesus. That we do not think of him as a great philosopher or a great moralist, or a great example. John will not let us think that. Was he a good man? Yes. Did he say great things? Yes. Is he a good example for us? Yes. But so much more than that. John will not let us cast him into the same category as the other great men of our time. For John, Jesus is God. Nothing less. And he says it from the first verse of the book. Jesus is God. Through this series, if you notice these things, um, all of the titles for our sermons are I am something. Coming from Jesus' own lips, I am the Lamb of God. I am the Good Shepherd. I am the Bread of Life. Today's Title is, I am God. I'm just going to put that right up front, all right? I am God, Jesus says. And John testifies to that in these 
verses that we have in front of us. So why don't we just have a look at it? We're going to look at verses 1 through 18. Hopefully you have it in front of you with your Bible. Like Jimmy said, if you don't own a Bible, take that with you. That's our gift. It'll be on the screen as well. And I just want us to walk through. This is what we're going to do for the next 20 weeks. Just walk through John's own words about who Jesus is. Does someone have a page number if, if someone's struggling to find that in the, in the church Bible? Page number? 886, all right? Okay, so let's read this. We're going to start with verse 1 to 2. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You might think to yourself, well, Jesus, uh, sorry, John, it's clearly talking about Jesus here. He's going to open with the subject of his whole gospel. He's talking about Jesus. So why does he say the Word? Why does he call him the Word? Why not just say Jesus or maybe the Son of God or something that we would understand better? He says, in the beginning was the Word. And the reason he does that, I think, is because, he, you get, this will put it in context for us for this book, he is writing in about AD 85, and he's writing to an audience made up of both Greeks and Jews. So he's writing to a Roman Empire, which is very multicultural, very multi-faith, very multi-perspective, right? Just like our modern Melbourne society today. Multicultural, multi-faith, lots of different perspectives and ideas, And so John needs to speak to these people in ways that they'll understand. And here's why he talks about Jesus being the Word. The Greeks, they didn't have a concept of one God that ruled the universe. They had a concept of many gods who all um, had their own shortcomings, their own failings. And the universe itself was governed by not a God, but by reason itself. So this is where you get a strong Greek philosophy coming through, even up to today. Reason is king. And the reason, that that sense of reason and rationale that governs the universe is called the word. In Greek, it's logos. The logos rules everything. But Jews, on the other hand, they obviously believed in one God who created everything and sustains everything. But even for the Jews, it was God's word that, that was the agency of his power. So you look at Genesis 1.1, God just doesn't like get a bunch of fairy dust and make the, the, the universe. He speaks it into existence. The book of Hebrews will tell us that God creates and sustains everything by the word of his power. It's his word that is the agency of who he is, of his power, of his infinite divinity. And so John is, has just captured both audiences by calling Jesus the word. He's just captured both audiences. The Greeks get it, right? The word, yep, that's the, that's the omnipotent governing rationale of the universe. And the Jews have got it because the word is the word of God that created and sustains all things. So are we down with that? That's why he's talking about Jesus as the word. And so he pulls them both in and says, this word is what you Greeks refer to as the power of the universe and what you Jews refer to as the power of God. And his name is Jesus. And he is God himself. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word 
was God. First verse. Right up front. Jesus is God. The first three words that he uses in this gospel are very important too. He says, in the beginning. You need to know for the Jews, when they read the Old Testament, they didn't have a book names that we have today. They didn't have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, right? They, had the, they called those books the first three or four words that were written in the book. And so instead of Genesis, it was called in the beginning. The word Genesis means beginnings, and that's why we call it Genesis. But for them, it's called in the beginning. The first three words of their Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so this is an explicit reference that they would see immediately. In the beginning. Before anything existed, before God creates anything, the word is there. Jesus is there. He is uncreated. What was there before? God himself. Just God. Just God. And, and so John goes out of his way. It sounds really clunky, but he's going out of his way to make it clear. He says, all things were made through him. This is verse 3. And without him, not anything made that was made. Without him was not anything made that was made. That's just a really meticulous way of saying nothing exists that was not created by Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Word is there from the beginning. When you read Genesis 1 in the beginning, God created, you need to see Jesus there as the agency of all creation. You are here because you are created by and for Jesus. In the beginning was the word. And so the bottom line is that John wants you to know from the first verse, the bottom line is he wants you to know Jesus is God. The next time the JWs or the Mormons come to your house, don't just slam the door, invite them in, get them a Coke, right? And, and sit them down and say, listen, John's really clear about this point. You guys need to know this point. Those who will tell you that Jesus was created by God, that he isn't God himself, that he is a mere creation of God, perhaps an angel or, or at least just an agent of God, you need to show them that, no, the word was God. And nothing is created apart from his agency, including him. Jesus is the uncreated God of the universe. John wants us to know that right up front. And then he goes on, verse 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's two words there, two key concepts for us in the next 20 weeks, okay? So get this in your mind. Two really important concepts for John, the language that he uses, life and light. Life and light. He's going to refer to life 36 times in his gospel. For him, that that concept of life is inextricably linked to who Jesus is and what he's done. So Jesus is the creator who gives physical life. He just said that. Everything that there is, 
created by the word. He's also the redeemer who gives spiritual life through his death and resurrection. And he's also the saviour who gives eternal life to those who receive him and have faith in him. John 3.16. Right? He's the creator who gives physical life. He is the redeemer who gives spiritual life. And he is the saviour who gives eternal life. Life, life, life. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, eternally. Jesus is all about life. Life and light. To John, Jesus is the light that comes into the world to show us the way to life. He is the light that comes into the world, into the darkness of this world. I don't know how much time you spend talking to people who aren't yet followers of Jesus. I hope, hope you do that. But, but so often the conversations I have with people who don't know Jesus, never been to Sunday school, never been to a Christian school, never been to church, there is, if nothing else, a pervasive darkness when it comes to these truths about who Jesus is. Right? We just saw it on that Vox Pop. There's just this darkness. We just, we just don't know who he is. We don't know enough about him. When it comes to talking about spiritual things, everything is vague. Most people are quite spiritual. They're just vague about it. We can't be sure. We don't know. There's something out there, but I just, I'm I'm not, I don't know. Right? There is a vagueness. There is a fog. There is a veil that's over everyone's eyes. All right? And John says, Jesus is the light that comes into that darkness, into that fog, and gives it light. Reveals who God is. This morning, I don't know if you were up at about 5 o'clock this morning, but there was a fog around, at least around Caroline Springs, that was thick. It was like August, right? And it was warm, but it was a fog, like thick fog. I went for a walk at about 5 this morning, and I couldn't see 20 feet in front of me. That is most people's spiritual experience today. There's something out there, I just don't know what it is. And John says, Jesus is the light that shows people the way to God. He brings up this concept of light and darkness and then runs with it for the rest of his book. It's the common uh, metaphor that most of us have sort of understood in some measure all of our lives, that good is light and bad is dark, right? He says here that the light came into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. That there is a darkness in this world, that there is such a thing as evil, contrary to what some philosophers will tell you today, there is such thing as right and wrong, good and bad, that there is evil in the world, that there is a personal enemy that we have named Satan who is opposed to God's kingdom and his rule, opposed to Jesus himself. And John says, as the light comes into the world, the darkness tries to overcome it, but it can't. It can't. Darkness can't overcome light. You can never have enough darkness to drown out light. You can have the most pitch black situation possible and you light a match and it beams out, right? 
couple of years ago, my wife and I went uh, to Queensland to visit her. Dad lives up there, and we went to Rockhampton. We went to the caves there. And you jump into these caves. They go through a mountain range. And when you're at the very, very bottom of where they'll take you, it is absolutely black. Not like dark, like you wake up in the middle of the night dark. Like absolutely, you cannot see your hand in front of your face. And so they get everyone to turn down their lights and everything goes off and it's absolute blackness. It's a little bit freaky. And then they tell you to turn on your head torch and it just beams out. You can't get enough darkness to overcome the light. And And John says, Jesus is that light who came to reveal who God is. The darkness might try and overcome it, but it cannot overcome it. It will not overcome it. So Jesus is life. Jesus is light. Let's keep moving. Let's move into the the historical context of Jesus' ministry. Verse 6 to 8, he says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light that came to bear witness about the light. He's setting the historical context now. So he's been talking about eternity past. Jesus was there. He's talked about creation, the beginning of all things. Jesus was there. And now he's talking about the context of Jesus' own life and ministry. And he says, during that time, there was a man named John. Now, this is not John the author. He's talking about another John, John the Baptist. And so we'll get to him next week. We'll hear more about who he is next week. He's the main character of next week's uh, little episode. But he says, in that context... There was a man named John, John the Baptist, who came as a witness to the light, came as a witness to Jesus, to who he was. And so here he's not going to talk so much about John the character and John's ministry. The other gospel writers will do that. He'll get a little bit into that next week. But he's talking more about John's function. And John functioned as a witness, as a forerunner. The Old Testament had prophesied this about John the Baptist, that he would prepare the way for the Lord. And that was his job. He was a little bit crazy. He lived in the wilderness, ate bugs and honey, and told everyone to repent, right? A little bit, little bit out there. He was actually Jesus' cousin, born about six, year, uh, six months before Jesus. Started his public ministry about a year before Jesus. And he was solely focused on preparing the way for Jesus. And so John says he was a witness This is another big word for John. He's going to use this, I think, about 42 times in the gospel. A witness. A witness is someone who testifies about something else. Who gives a testimony about someone else. It would be great during this series to have some of you come forward and share your testimony, your witnessing about who Jesus is and what he's done in your life. If you're interested in that, then please fill out a a next steps card on your way out. Let us know. and We'd love to get together with you and and coach you through that. But he says, John came as a witness. He was not the light itself. John wants to get that right straight away because as soon as John the Baptist came on the scene, he got a big following. He got famous. He was trending on Twitter. He was most downloaded on iTunes, right? Or, Or he was the big guy of the moment. And so people came to him and said, are you the one? Are you the Messiah? And John flat out said, no, never. I'm not fit to tie up that guy's sandals, he said. 
There's a classic line that we'll hear in a couple of weeks' time where he says, I must decrease, he must increase. Forget about me. I'm just a witness. I'm just a mirror. I'm just showing you the way to the light, the true light. So there was this guy named John, and he was a witness to the light. I think in religion, I'm talking about all religions, we have this tendency to elevate and pedestal men and women. Right? You get this in, in other religions with prophets, with gurus, who get put up there and revered and even worshipped. We do it in, in our own context. Even in modern, reformed, Protestant circles, we have our heroes, we have our preachers, we have our authors that we pedestal and, and, and revere. John wants us to know absolutely clearly, Jesus is the only one who deserves our worship and adoration. John the Baptist was a great man, but he was not the light. He came merely to witness, to testify to the light. Let's keep track in verse 9 to 11. He says, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So first he says, listen, this word, this Jesus, who created everything, came to the people, to the world he created, to the very people he knit together in their mother's womb. He came to them and they didn't recognize him. They didn't see him for who he truly was. They rejected him. They sidelined him. They eventually killed him. This is the tragedy that we want to avoid during this series. Everyone, everyone look, look right at me. This is the tragedy, and it is an absolute tragedy. It is the greatest tragedy that we want to avoid at all costs during this series. That anyone would come face to face with this Jesus and just ignore him. Just reject him. Just sideline him. Put him in a box with all the other good men of our time. He created us. He redeemed us. He wants to restore us. We should do anything but sideline and reject him. Even now, during this series, through his word, he is coming to the people he has created. God, help us. Let us not reject him. If you've got friends, family, loved ones who don't yet know Jesus, who have that darkness, have that veil, have that fog, then bring them along. And our prayer is that they will see their creator and their redeemer and their restorer, the lover of their soul, and receive him. See, in Jesus' day, they did not receive him. John says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But, and here's the contrast, here's the great contrast that we put our hope in, especially during this series. 
to all who did receive him and believed in his name, verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave them that right. No one has the right to be a child of God. No one has the right to be adopted into God's family, to be made a brother or sister of Jesus, a co-heir of all that he has, which is everything. We don't have that right. But John says, to those who receive Jesus, receive his message, receive his lordship, receive his divinity, receive his message, receive his life, death and resurrection, to all who receive him and believe in his name, he gives them the right to become children of God. Are you a child of God here this morning? Have you received Jesus? Are you believing in his name? Do you believe all that John has just said about him? Then you're a brother and a sister of Jesus. You are a child of God. You've been adopted into his family and made righteous in God's sight. You have an eternal life awaiting you of glory and perfection and love all because of what Jesus has done for you. Which leads us to the last point I want to make. It's in verse 16 to 18. John says, And from his fullness, from Jesus' fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. All of this comes by grace. He just said it in the previous passage that we looked at. They became children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's not about the will of the flesh. It's not about what family you were born into. It's not about what status you have given to you by society. It's not about what you can do for God. It's not the will of the flesh, but the will of God. It's not something you attain. It's something you receive. And from his fullness, verse 16, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, that's Jesus. The only God, Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Grace upon grace. Grace upon grace. Jesus coming into the world changes everything. No one has ever seen God, John says. But when Jesus came into the world, he revealed who God was. Everyone had seen him. As we see Jesus in the words of his holy scriptures, we see God. It changes Everything. The law came through Moses. Religion, doing your best, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps came through Moses, but grace and truth come through the Lord Jesus. For the Greeks, this meant it wasn't just some kind of impersonal force out there, the rationale that governed the universe, the logos, the word that could never be known, or even the pantheon of gods who would just play with them and mess with them and and play tricks on them. It was God come in human flesh that they could know. The God who would give them everything by grace. 
No more temple sacrifices. No more praying mantras, hoping that God would send them rain. But a personal God who had revealed himself in a man. Same for the Jew. Before they had the law of Moses, do these things. Obey these laws. Make these sacrifices. And if you do them perfectly, then you'll be okay. And if not, you get nothing. All of a sudden now, it wasn't about law keeping. It was about grace receiving. That's why Jews like John fell at Jesus' feet and worshipped him as their God, the God of grace. It changes everything for you and me. Aussie battlers trying to do the right thing, trying to be a good person, trying to live a a fair and egalitarian life where we don't do anyone any harm and we're, we're good to our mates. It saves us from that kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, stiff upper lip, white knuckle religion that kills, that kills real relationship with God. That leads us to an eternity without any hope in the world. It gives us grace upon grace, forgiveness, free forgiveness, grace upon grace. The image I want to have you know, have in your mind as, we, as I leave this first passage is that of the ocean. I know a bunch of you are going uh, after church and everyone's welcome to go to Janjak down at the beach there because uh, it's freaking hot today, all right? So everyone's, everyone's encouraged to get down to the beach. They're going to Janjak and, and I, I used to spend most of my um, year 12 days rather than being in class at Janjuk, as, as it happens. And um, I got my license in March, and that was a bad idea, all right? So I used to go down there all the time. And the great thing about the surf coast, and Janjuk in particular, is it has really um, dependable waves. It has really good surf, and the waves are really dependable. It's almost always good surf there. And so we used to go down there and surf our way through, um, you know, morning classes and into afternoon classes and, and then into detention, all right? And so we... We would do that. And, and so the image I want you to have in mind, even as you go down there, if you go today, is those waves. Continual, dependable, never-ending waves. That's what John's talking about. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Jesus comes to give us grace upon grace. Never-ending grace. Amazing grace. Limitless grace to every sinner who would receive Jesus and believe in his name. Religion? That's like standing on the shore of a lake and saying, come on waves! I can do this. Come on waves, get up. I'll jump in there and just scoop them out. Get those waves happening. Futile. If you're attempting to be a part of any kind of religion that depends on your adherence to certain laws, to certain customs, to certain prayers, to certain ways of being, then that is you standing in a dead lake, scooping up the waves. But Christianity, in contrast to every other 
religion is standing on the shore and receiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. That's why the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus came to live the perfect life, the life that we can never live. Can we just be honest about that? Just so we don't have to keep pretending each week, right? We can't do it. He also came to die the death that we should die. We deserve to die. That my three-year-old deserves to die. That my three-month-old deserves to die. He came to die that death in their place for their sin. And so John has just told us all we need to do is recognize the word, Jesus, to be the God who he claims to be, to put our trust in the death that he died for us, and then to receive grace upon grace forever. Amen. If you're in any doubt about how to receive grace, it's pretty easy, all right? If you can think about how to receive the waves this afternoon, you just walk right in, all right? That's how you do it. If you're confused, you walk right in. And it's exactly the same about receiving the grace of Jesus. It is easy to walk into the waves of God's grace and receive what he has done for you. The rest of your life will be way harder than it is now, all right? Jesus is clear about that. He's going to ask you to take up your cross every day and follow him. It's hard to be a Christian. But if there's any doubt in your mind whether you are one this morning, we want to walk with you through receiving the grace of God in Jesus. So here's how we're going to do it today. Uh, A couple of us are going to be up the front, and all we want you to do is come forward after the service. People will be chatting, people will be leaving. You need to stay and pray with us, okay? We're going to do that for about 15 minutes or as long as we need to. Um, to pray with you, to talk with you about what it means to receive the grace of Jesus. If you have friends and loved ones who are in any doubt, then please bring them to, to, along next week. Um, it's going to be a great day. We're going to be dedicating Avery Hanley to God. Um, we're going to be, um, for that reason, entertaining a lot of people who don't yet know Jesus. And so I want you to be right up front about being willing to share with them about your own Um, life with Jesus, your own relationship. We want the message every week to be tailored to people who don't yet know him, that they would come, as John designs this gospel to do, come to know and Jesus as their Lord, King, Saviour and God. Let me pray to that end. Let's, Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for the Apostle John. We thank you that as he mended his nets that day in his boat, as he heard the voice of Jesus, he responded in faith to follow him. And for the rest of his life, he followed Jesus through thick and thin. That he took the time to write down this eyewitness account of who Jesus is and, and what he did and what he taught and his death, burial and resurrection. 
We thank you for his faithfulness. But we thank you most of all for Jesus himself. We thank you that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that God came into human history to live the perfect life and to die in our place, only to be raised again, to be seated at the right hand of God where he is now receiving our worship and our prayers. We thank you so much for Jesus. And I pray right now for those in this place this morning who don't yet know you, who haven't yet received your grace and put their trust in your name, I pray that they would do that now by the power of your spirit. We know that this this conversion, that this saving faith doesn't come by the will of the flesh or the will of man, but by the will of God. So please do that now. In Jesus' good name. Amen. You've been listening to the Anglican Church Caroline Springs podcast. For more information, go to taccs.org.au.